Hey, good morning, welcome. It's a great day, isn't it? 85 years. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely amazing that, that a group of people came together and said, hey, we're gonna be the Lord's work. And here we are 85 years later. Most of us knew none of them, and yet here we are. And so we're gonna dive in this morning. We're gonna look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. So I wanna invite you to stand up. You can read this verse along with me if you'd like. If you uh, have your Bible on your phone or in your hand, go ahead and open it to that. Um, as always, I'm gonna read from the NASB. So, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful and thankful that we are here. We know that we're, we're standing on the shoulders of your faith, and we're excited to be in this place. And God, I just ask that whatever you would like to have spoken would be spoken today, that you would remove me, that anything that I may say in ignorance or, or that's in error, that you would let those words fall to the ground and only let the fullness of your truth reside in ears and hearts and minds today. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So I wanna tell you a story. There was a guy he was a devout guy. He's living in a, a shed, a shack at the base of a mountain. He's got these big boulders around. And he prays every day. And he goes and he prays to God in the morning. He says, Lord, what is it you'd have me to do today? What would you have me to do today? And God said, you see that big boulder outside your house? Go push it. He said, okay. So he gets up and he does it and he pushes it. Next day, he goes out, prays to God. God, what is it you'd have me to do today? Go push the boulder. So he goes and pushes the boulder. And he pushes all day long and, he, and it's hot and the sun's shining on him, it's beating down on him. He's pushing and pushing and pushing. And this goes on for months and months and months. And finally the guy wakes up one day and he goes out and he says, Lord, what is it you'd have me do today? And of course God says, push the boulder. And the guy said, no, I'm not doing it. I've been pushing this boulder for months. It hasn't budged an inch. I can't move it. And God said, wait a minute. I never told you to move it. I told you to push it. And God looks at him and says, look at your back. Look at your arms. Look at your legs now. You're strong. You're tanned from the sun. You have fortitude. Now you're ready for me to send you. I had a bolder experience like that once. I was invited to lead a mission team to Rwanda. We were gonna go and, and, and work through some of the, the church's beliefs in Rwanda about ancestor worship. And I'd never been, I, was, I mean, I was super excited. I'd never been to Africa. I love the Lion King, so I'm thinking this is a great fit. I'm gonna end up in Africa. I'm gonna see lions and elephants and all kinds of majestic things. And um, it was a very expensive trip and it was coming up quick. So I'm like, well, I don't have the several thousand dollars, but I'm gonna trust God for this. I'm gonna say yes. So I said yes. 
And the first de deadline came for the money. I didn't have the money, so I went in and said, hey, I don't have the money. They're like, well, it's okay. We postponed the trip for a little bit because there's unrest there. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. Look at God making a way. So the next deadline came. I didn't have the money. And I went in and said, hey, uh, I'm going to have to, I can't do it. And they said, no, 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 we've had to postpone the trip again. There is a, uh, still some civil unrest in Rwanda. We can't send anybody there. And again, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is God making a way. So finally, our missions pastor called me one day and said, hey, I need to talk to you about Rwanda. And I'm like, here it is. He's going to call and say that somebody came in and, and made a donation that I'd been seeking sponsors for. Somebody came in and paid my whole trip. That's what he's going to tell me. And this is going to be great because God is God and God will make this thing happen. And he goes, hey, we had to cancel that trip. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting him to go, hey, God provided you get to go, you get to, you get to go meet Simba and, and all the other you know, fun characters and you're gonna be in Africa. And, and I gotta tell you, I was frustrated. And, and so I'm praying and I'm like, God, you told me to go on this trip. He said, no, I didn't. I told you to be willing to go. I never told you to go. It was the most impactful mission trip I never went on. <laughs> it really was. Because it taught me that we have a tendency to go, this is what God wants for me and I'm gonna walk in that direction and we never stop to consider what's his will in it, what's his desire in it. We never stop to think, maybe you're inviting me into this thing not so that I would do this thing but because you want to turn me into the kind of person who can do these types of things. And so, so in our verse today, we got that statement, right? We are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. It means to be crafted by his hands, with care and attention and diligence. It means to be a masterpiece. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in that place? That place where I was in where you're pushing a boulder? You wanted something, you trusted that you'd get it, you longed for it, you anticipated it, you needed it, and you counted on this or that thing. And then you stand there going, wait God, I thought I was your workmanship. What this? As your workmanship, I should be treated as a masterpiece. <laughs> Give me what I want. And you start to feel disappointment. I think we all have that sense of disappointment sometimes because we assume God's intention and his will. God calls, we assume what the outcome is, what he's desiring to have happen, and then it doesn't happen. And, and, and that invitation to do certain things from God isn't always about doing that thing. Sometimes it's just about being willing to do that thing. Sometimes it's just about being available. And so back to our boulder pushing friend. Oftentimes God invites us into an action, a discipline if you will, to prepare us, to train us to receive his call. In short, the discipline isn't the call, it's the preparation for the call. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at some of the calls that come, particularly one that was placed on a group of people here 85 years ago. And so here's what I wanna show you today. I wanna show you a few things. I wanna show you that what makes you God's, I wanna show you what makes you God's workmanship, what the purpose of his workmanship is, and how we, as his workmanship, must respond to the reality that we are his workmanship. So I want to show you those three things this morning. And so the first question is, what makes us his workmanship? 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The short answer to that question, what makes us God's workmanship? It's God. That's the short answer. So, but God, rich in mercy and great in love, has the power to raise us from the death of our sin and made us alive with Christ by his grace. Then, then he seats us with himself in heavenly places, which we have no access to apart from being in Christ. This is what makes you his workmanship. But God, by grace, with love, has seated you in Christ in heavenly places. In short, it's not what you've done or have or who you are, but what he has done, what he is, and who he is. Which means that we are God's workmanship solely by his grace. You didn't earn it, you can't buy it, you won't lose it, you shouldn't hide it, and you have to share it. It's the only reality of being God's workmanship. We are his workmanship because of how he brought us to himself. Nothing else. The means by which he brought us to himself is what makes us his workmanship. The means of salvation, grace, and mercy, and love, they reveal just how incredibly majestic he is. Listen, the masterpiece doesn't make the artist. The artist makes the masterpiece. So we go on in, in verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You ever met a boasting Christian? That's not what it's about. It's not about what I've done or the fact that I have even faith. That text, those two verses from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are the proof text for everything I just said about how we are made God's workmanship. So answer to the question, what makes us his workmanship? His grace, his love, his mercy, and his majesty. That's what makes us his workmanship. Not what we do as his workmanship, but the fact that he is gracious, he is loving, he is merciful, he is majestic. That's what makes us his workmanship. Now here's the next question. What is the purpose of his workmanship? You ever made anything? Because when we make something, when we craft something, it has a purpose behind it, right? We sit down and we go, this is what I want this thing to do. And so I'll make it. So it's a very critical question for us to ask. If I am God's workmanship crafted by his hands, then what is it he made me for? What is my purpose? And that's the question we need to deal with next. And here's the answer. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. That's your purpose. That's your purpose as his workmanship. Simple enough purpose of his workmanship is good works. That's all we're made for. 
Because see, here's the deal. We as fallen humans, we tend to believe that the purpose of being God's workmanship lies in the seated with him in the heavenly places part more than it lies in the good works part. We tend to think because I'm God's workmanship, my purpose then is to live a life that will allow me to rest and do nothing in heaven forever. And that's my goal. And that's what he made me for. And that's why I'm here. Well, then my question is, why are you still here then if that's the purpose? Wouldn't it be torment for God to make you simply to be with him for all of eternity and then not take you there instantly? Wouldn't that make God some kind of cosmic divine joker? Unless he had something that needed to be done by you here now. That's the only explanation as to why after we come to faith, we don't look like Enoch and just somehow magically transport into the divine space, the heavenly places where God himself is. See, here's what I know. I know right now in this moment, my faith is strong enough to sit in heaven. But is it strong enough to work on earth? I know I have the kind of faith that would allow me to sit forever in God's presence in heaven. What I question though, is do I have the kind of faith that will allow me to do the good works he prepared in advance for me to do here? Because if my faith is only strong enough for me to sit in heaven, then my faith isn't strong enough. There should be good works. And so that's the question for you. Do you have the kind of faith that's strong enough to work on earth, not simply to sit in heaven? You're saved, you're sanctified, you're justified, and you're mobilized for good works. To have the type of faith that allows us to sit on our hands is to not have faith. Because at some point, if all my faith does is allow me to sit on my hands in in some sense of being God's workmanship, then the problem I have is my faith isn't deep enough to work on earth. It's only deep enough for me to sit in heaven. Now listen, the good works that we do, that we're made to do, they're not good works that we do to earn something, but they're done because we've been made for that purpose. So I wanna tell you right now, if your life is empty, if, if it's unsatisfying or you feel unfulfilled, then do this. Try living into your purpose and then watch what happens. The deepest satisfaction, the most fulfillment you're ever gonna get is when you live out of the fact that you are God's masterpiece created for good works. That's what satisfaction is. If you live as God's masterpiece for the purpose of good works, you will come alive in ways that you never dreamed possible. Your life will be inflamed with things that you never thought you could hold. You won't walk around questioning why you exist or why am I here or what am I supposed to do? You will know instinctively in every moment, like a bird knows how to fly or a fish knows how to swim, exactly how you're called to live. And so here's the deal. This idea of being God's masterpiece is exactly where we land as we accept our status as God's beloved in Christ. Remember we talked about that several weeks ago? When I come to the place where the pronouncement of the Holy Spirit over Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son, is also true of me, and I accept it and I believe it, then I start to land in the place where God created me to land, to do good works. Last week we talked about having a vision and intention and means. This lifestyle of living as God's masterpiece, doing good works, it's a product of having a vision of being crucified with Christ and having his life in us that we talked about last week in Galatians 2.20. 
It's a lifestyle that becomes the easy yoke and the light burden that Jesus invited us into as our intention to realize that vision is lived out and grows deeper. It takes root in our hearts and our minds as we practice the means, the spiritual training activities that we talked about that create space for us to participate with the Holy Spirit as he transforms our souls. That's what happens when I recognize that I am God's beloved in Christ and I say, wait, I am your workmanship. I am your masterpiece. And what was I made for? I was made to do good works. That's my purpose. Here's what happens. This life in Christ and the life of Christ in us becomes the source of living and moving and being. That's what Acts 17 talks about. To live and move and be in God is a product of the recognition that I am his masterpiece created for good works. That's what happens. And when that happens, when we start to live in that, even for just a brief moment, the good works flow off of us like the wake on one of those massive ships going down the St. Clair. That wake just goes out. It touches everything around us. It waters the, the banks of the river of our lives. It refreshes. And if you happen to be on the river when that boat goes by, you know it went by. You know it went by. That's what our lives should look like as God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When we pass through the world, people should know we pass through because the wake that comes off us is God's goodness and mercy. It goes into every place in our world. It goes into every place in our relationships. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was the life of everybody who can hear my voice this morning? Whether online or in the room? Can you imagine? See, this is what I think. I can't prove it. It's just pure speculation. But I think that that was the desire that spurred those early Templeites to build a church. I think that's why they got together and said, hey, we need to build a church. Does anybody think that in 1937, somehow Sarnia was the only place on the planet that didn't have enough churches? We got enough churches, we don't have enough workmanship. We don't have enough masterpieces. But I think the fact that this church was born out of a revival speaks deeply to why they said, let's build a church. They said, let's be God's workmanship. Let's do good works because of who he is and who he has made us to be right here in Sarnia, right now, and then for generations to come. We are those generations to come. We are the generations that stand on the shoulder of the spiritual, financial, physical, material commitment made by people in 1937 that most of us don't even know. We're standing on the good works of this great cloud of witnesses that started Temple out of a desire to see God do a work first in them so that they could participate with him in doing a good work in this community. Their good works of teaching and serving and loving and giving and growing are still a strong tree producing fruit that is nourishing and feeding all of us today. That's amazing. 
absolutely amazing. We're standing here today on the shoulders of this great cloud of witnesses who committed to building this body over the last 85 years. People who have come and gone and entered and left, but still left a legacy. But you know what? That legacy, it didn't start at the corner of Talford and Harkness. That cloud of witnesses goes all the way back to Paul and Peter and John and Andrew and Mary and Elizabeth. Ultimately, it goes right through Jesus. It comes from God's workmanship. People with names like Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Enoch and so many others. That is our lineage. We cannot take it lightly. We are all together God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that began long, long ago. The first good work we see in the Bible is Abel's sacrifice. That's our lineage. You're connected to that. Now let me tell you the not so good news. Listen to what these people received in Hebrews 11, verses 36 and 37. This is what they got for being God's workmanship. Mocking and flogging and further, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. That's what happened to them. They were seen as insignificant, as a nuisance. Now, this is the most powerful verse in the Bible to me I'm about to read to you. It's verse 38 in Hebrews 11. People of whom the world was not worthy. He just gets done saying they were flogged, they were mocked, they were sawn in two, they got the sword. And then he says, people of whom the world was not worthy. Oh, I long for that day. 85 years from now, in a future Temple Baptist Church, where people are being beamed through their convenient teleportation devices or riding in their rocket cars to get to church, that those Templeites would look back at us and say, with the writer of Hebrews, the world wasn't worthy of them. The world was never worthy of them. We can be that. We can do that. We can be the very people that future generations would look back on and say that that if they were only here today, look how they lived. They lived as God's workmanship. All they wanted to do was do the good works he prepared for them. The world wasn't worthy of them. Wouldn't that be a great testimony to have on your tombstone? Here lies so-and-so, the world wasn't worthy of him. Here lies so-and-so, the world wasn't worthy of her. That's what it means to be God's workmanship. That's what the purpose of being his workmanship is, is to live a life that's so rooted in good works that people will look and go, the world's not worthy of this person. See, I think we can move towards that desire, and I think we can become a part of that great cloud of witnesses 
that the future of Temple and Sarnia and Canada and the world can be surrounded by and inspired through answering this third question. How should we respond to the reality that we are his workmanship? Well, here's what we do. It's a simple response. It's one word. Commit. That's the response to being God's workmanship. We commit. We commit to being transformed so that his very life comes alive in us. We commit to becoming the type of workmanship who naturally and instinctively does the good works he's prepared for us. We commit by choosing to live a life of good works, a lifestyle of good works that says, I want to plug in at Temple as a regular server, a regular giver, a regular encourager, and as a person who is committed to growing into the very likeness of Jesus himself. That's what we do. We commit. Go back to Hebrews 11 for just a moment. Do you think uncommitted people would be sawn in two, that they'd be mocked and flogged? I don't think so. Because when you're not committed, once the hardship comes, once the difficulty comes, once the threats come, you leave. You take off. To be the kind of people that are changing the world in such a way that lets others know that the world is not worthy of God's workmanship. The people who are his workmanship starts with commitment. We have to want that. We have to desire it. We have to seek it. We have to stick our heels in the dirt and say, I won't be moved. I will stand on this. I want to invite you to commit today. I want to invite you today to commit in ways that you've never committed before. Now, it's not all difficulty and bad news. I'm certainly not going to ask you to go outside and be sawn in two or mocked and flogged, at least not in here. That might happen out there, but it's not going to happen in here today. Matter of fact, we have a different plan for you. The first thing I want you to commit to is hanging around and eating cake after the service. The only thing we want sawn in two is those cakes out there. But I want you to hang out and eat cake and commit to that because of the great cloud of witnesses that went before us that we are a part of a lineage of so that we can share their stories and celebrate them, that we can thank God that that generation in 1937 that said we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works said, well, what's the good work we're going to do? Well, you know what? I think we're going to have a revival. Then I think we're going to build a church then I think it's going to last. Then I think we're going to impact this community for the next two, three generations by having people keep coming. I want you to commit to serving regularly at Temple. You can do that today. We've been practicing service as our discipline throughout this series. And it's the culmination of the discipline of service is this, to commit to serve regularly. You've done acts of service over the last four weeks, and now we're going to invite you into making a commitment to serve regularly. There's ministry opportunities here all over the place, and you can walk right out into the lobby and push your chips to the center of the table and say, I am all in here. I'm going all in now. Just put me where you need me to be. Commit to that today. 
Now here's why we have to commit to regular service, because we can only grow so far by serving randomly. Imagine if you said you wanted to get in shape and you decided that you would randomly jog a little bit every four to six weeks. Exactly, exactly. It's a joke. Why isn't that funny with our spiritual lives though? I want God to do a work in me, so I'm gonna occasionally pray a little bit, maybe read a little bit, maybe serve a little bit, whenever I feel like it, I'll do that. And I feel like it right now, so I'll go do it. But when I don't feel like it, I won't do it. That's the part that you guys should be laughing at. But I know we don't want to laugh on that because we're stepping on our toes. If you're like me, there's other things that become important at those moments instead of that regular commitment. I got to be honest, for me, the greatest moments of growth has been those times when I had to serve and I didn't want to and I did anyway. When I didn't feel like it. Last thing I wanted to do was be somewhere serving at the church. But I went ahead and did it anyway. Those are the greatest moments of growth. And those only come about when we make a commitment. I want to invite you to commit to supporting the next 85 years of ministry by becoming a regular giver here. To practice the discipline of giving. And here's what happens. As we practice these disciplines regularly, we're changed. Random practice of disciplines doesn't change us. Only regular practice does. And so finally, and most importantly, if you've ignored everything I've said to this point, I'm going to give you a second to reset your head because this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. I want to invite you to commit to Jesus. What step of commitment to Jesus do you need to make today? What is it? Do you need to profess faith in him? Do you need to talk about baptism? Maybe, maybe you just need to commit to exploring him more, to getting to know him more, to saying, hey, I want to get involved with a group of people who can come alongside me and help me explore him and know him more. Maybe you need to commit to inviting him into your home by becoming a stronger spiritual leader in your own living room. Whatever it is, whatever it is, commit to him today. We're going to ask you to push your serving chips into the center of the table, but I'm going to also ask you to push your spiritual chips into the center of the table. Say, I'm going all in. I know you, Lord. I want to know you more. If you need to explore your level of commitment to Jesus, will you find me? Just find me. Send me an email. Call me. Whatever. You want to have coffee this week? You want to buy me lunch? It's a spiritual write-off if you take the pastor to lunch. It's not a tax write-off. It's a spiritual write-off. When, when God balances those ledgers, you get a deduction for that. So, But that's what we need to do. We need to recognize that we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're created by him to do good works. That's our purpose. The only question we have to answer is, what am I going to do with that purpose? And so right now, we're going to enter into a time of communion. Communion is about commitment. It's two-sided commitment. It's commitment God made to us, but it's also us responding to him with a commitment. 
Listen to this verse from Galatians 1.4. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever more. Amen. He rescued us by making us his workmanship. And as his will is for us to do good works that he prepared for us to walk into before you were even born, before Temple was here 85 years ago, before Abel made that good sacrifice, before Moses said, I'm going to go all in, God, before Mary was visited by an angel and conceived, he prepared good works for you in this room to walk into before all of that. God has good work sitting on the shelf for you to walk into.